as sports betting comes online in Kentucky. We take a look at just how big this is for the state. Louisville celebrates as kids make a home before 8 p.m. from the bus. And Annie Bashir wants to put more kids into a failing education system sooner with universal pre-K. We have all that and more today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. And of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter. And before we dig into any of the amazing topics we've to covered today, I have to ask you to please like, comment, share, subscribe if you're listening to this on Facebook, on Twitter, um, on YouTube. Please share this videos with others. Make sure you are following the pages there. If you're listening on Facebook or Twitter, comment, retweet, react, share. Uh, and then, of course, if you're listening in the podcast form, make sure you are subscribed to the channel on whatever podcasting platform you're listening on. And as well, leave a review. But as always, only if you like the podcast, leave a five-star review. Um, fr- quite frankly, we don't need your opinion unless it's a positive one. Okay, this is my safe space. Um, this is my comfort zone. And I don't want you coming into it with your negativity. But... Without further ado, let's dig into it. So sports betting, right? So last year, the House legislature passed House Bill 551, which allows the Kentucky Speedway and our nine horse tracks to offer a retail sports book. So you could come in in person and bet there. And then the nine horse tracks are allowed to partner with up to three online providers to offer a digital sports book, either on the app or online or whatever. And if you want to do this, if you want to do any kind of sports betting at all, if you want to do it online, you want to offer these kinds of things, well, you're going to have to do it through the racetracks. And of course, Bashir and a lot of the establishment Republicans tout this as a big win for Kentuckians. But how big of a win is it? I mean, they point out the fact that uh, many of the states, other than one that surrounds us, has legalized sports betting and we are losing on it. And to be quite honest, um, it never made a lot of sense to me that we would be against quote unquote sports betting as a state while we allow sports betting in the form of gambling on horse races at the same time. Uh, you may remember this from the discussion I had with Steve Doan uh, where, you know, it's inconsistencies of the law really bother me. And if we're against sports betting, that's great. Let's, if that's what the people want, then outlaw sports betting of all kind, including at the horse tracks. But if you're unwilling to do that, well, then quite frankly, we're not having an honest discussion about sports betting. It's just about uh, you like some people having uh, certain abilities and others to not. And quite frankly, that's a little bit hypocritical. And so if you're somebody who's against gambling, that's fine. Just please be against gambling of all kind. Be against the HHR slot machines. Be against gambling at the horse tracks. Be against sports betting. Be against uh, uh, the skilled games. Be against all of it across the board and not just pretend to be uh, against some of it when you're really not be consistent, be against the lottery. And if you're against all those things and you're against gambling, more power to you. That is your opinion. And I'm not here to tell you that you're necessarily long to believe that I understand it's very uncomfortable for people like me included to have this conversation about the state making revenue of people making what a lot of individuals view as bad decisions and gambling isn't really something I'm that into, but let's put that to the side. And, and and let's just put that to the side there because let's talk about this law here. What it did is, is it gave 
more power to the horse tracks and it expanded gambling into a new realm, into the ability to offer a sports book. Contrast that with another bill that failed this year because it was against illegal gambling or, or quote unquote, or these horse tracks claimed and partnered up with the evangelical right, the anti-gambling right on a bill to fight Pesomatic or these skilled games. See, that wasn't even entering into necessarily a new gaming realm. We currently offered slot machines, essentially, uh, at the horse tracks. This was just offering them in greater areas or a slot machine-esque type game. Of course, it was a skilled game, so it's not technically slot machines, but whatever. And what we saw was these horse tracks championing how damaging this was, how awful it was for this to happen, partnering with this evangelical right to push back on this gambling but then at the same time, they're passing a bill to allow them to enter into a brand new realm of gambling. Doesn't make a lot of sense. And like I said, these Kentucky horse tracks are enjoying this special treatment. So why do they enjoy that? Why do they enjoy such a special treatment? Why is it that those select few are allowed to make money off of the quote unquote sin and the rest of us can't? Why is it that this group of nine horse tracks and, of course, Kentucky Speedway, too, but the nine horse tracks, because they're allowed to actually offer uh, online gaming as well. The Kentucky Speedway is not. Why is it that they're allowed to do this? But meanwhile, I can't offer gambling at my establishments. I can't run hamsters around the track. My friend who owns a demolition derby company uh, who has demo who runs demolition derbies all over the state. He's not allowed to have people gamble trackside on what truck will win or car will win and what car won't. So why, why is it just the horse tracks that enjoy this? Well, it's because of an open corruption that many of our legislators absolutely do not care about, or rather it happens right in front of them and they've either become comfortable about it or worse yet, they're the worst kind of quote-unquote sinners or horrible people of all. People who are supposedly good people who say nothing when they see this corruption happening right in front of them and say just that's the way it is. What do I mean by this corruption? Well, on top of the wink-wink, nod-nod that goes on, things like sponsorships, fancy dinners, outings, those types of things, there's more blatant things. Like, for example, and I've mentioned him before, but um, to, to take a little more time on it, take a look at Senate Majority Leader Damon Thayer, Republican. A position he has voted into every two years by Republicans in the Senate. So they continue to vote for this person. These so-called conservatives continue to vote for this other so-called conservative who not only is he made floor leader, but then because he's a part of leadership, can control who's on committees. And he's given the chairship of the committee that creates all of the legislation and laws regulating gaming and the horse racing industry. Yet there's day job, a consultant to the horse racing industry. He's legally allowed to take in millions of dollars from the horse racing industry and in straight cash to him while he's in charge of regulating it. There is no requirement for him to disclose whose clients are or how much they're paying him. But yet this outright and uh, blatant type of quick, quo pro corruption type behavior is just accepted as par for the course. In fact, there's very few Republican senators that will even say something about this. There's a few, but very few. And yet 
everybody else never says anything about it. In fact, they reward it by continuing to vote for him. Why? Because they care more about being able to hold on to a title. They care more about getting to line their own campaign accounts. They care more about feeling special and getting claps than they actually care about getting things accomplished. They care more about their 30-day-a-year part-time job. That's how long it's supposed to be, of course then they care about doing what's right. And you wonder how they can look at themselves in the mirror. You wonder how they can sleep at night knowing that they're selling out their state to the highest bidder and allowing this kind of blatant corruption to continue in the Senate. Like I said, they all vote for it. No, well, maybe not all of them, but they vote for them every two years. And I think we as citizens need to start asking our state senators why they continue to do that. How do they square the peg of allowing somebody to receive potentially millions of dollars in legal payoffs from the horse racing industry while they're in charge of regulating the horse racing industry? How can they call out Biden while that kind of more blatant corruption, not even going through the sun, happens right here in our own state? But it's legal. It's allowed. But that doesn't mean they have to allow it. It means they can say, look, that may be legal, but we're not going to keep voting for this person to be able to be in that position because it's just wrong. And at that point, you have to wonder, they think about what's best for Kentucky or they think about what's best for themselves. I don't even have to make the claim that Damon Thayer has ever once simply controlled a bill or a vote because of how much money he was given by a client. The very fact that that, that could easily and legally happen in such a way in the state, in a way that nobody could, the, the illegal portion of it would be very hard to detect, should be enough to say, look, we feel uncomfortable with this. But of course, he holds on to that position because he keeps the money flowing. And he keeps the money flowing from the same exact people, from these horse racing industry. Let's just take a look at 2023. Let's take a look at 2023 lobbying by the equine and horse racing industry. So just so far in 2023, we're in August, okay? In August, equine gaming horse racing industry has spent so far $820,000 just in lobbying expenses or about $6,000 per representative. There's 100, uh, uh, of course, house reps. There's 38 state senators. It's 138 total in our legislative body. They've spent around six grand a person just in 2023. Talk about money flowing into campaign accounts. Well, just last year, 2022, from just people who have Churchill Downs as an employer. So these are just donations to our politicians around the state from people with the last with, with stated employer on their contribution of Churchill Downs. This doesn't include PACs. This doesn't include any kind of special associations. This doesn't include dark money. This is just people outright giving who say my employer is Churchill Downs. In 2022, one out of nine of our racetracks, that's only one out of nine, they gave $111,425 just in contributions. That's just from one horse track. And what do they get for this money? They get their monopolies. They get their power. And all we have to give up is our illusion that we actually live in a state where our representatives care about passing things that are fair 
not just about favoring certain people. And I'm sure these representatives and senators somehow justify it to themselves. Nobody likes to be the villain in their story. And I know a lot of them listen to this podcast. And I know that because I've gotten a lot of feedback from how upset some people have gotten at certain parts of the podcast. So all I got to tell you guys is get over it. And at any time, you're welcome to reach out to me and voice your opinions. You're welcome to come on to the podcast and we can have this conversation. So they can hate me for saying it, but at the end of the day, it's true. You don't want to be the, the villain in your own story, but how do you look at yourself in a mirror and look at the votes you've taken and see how inconsistent they are? Continue to vote for people to be in positions of power who are clearly making money off that position, not serving the people but themselves, because you can't serve the people and become rich at the same time. That doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. How do you do that? How do you look in the mirror? How do you go to sleep at night and then continue to hold your head high? And we as constituents of these people have got to be challenging our representatives on this point. And if you're a representative who doesn't get involved in that, more power to you. And I know there's some of you out there. But for those who don't, and for those constituents of people who don't, we need to ask them a question. And I know some of you listening to this will think, yeah, yeah, that is real corrupt. But my representatives, my state senators will never do that. Let me tell you, a little stat here. And this was actually a stat um, I learned from Thomas Massey. And uh, I was, me and, and Congressman Massey were on a speaking tour together. There's a few stops on a speaking tour and we were on it together. And this was a few years ago. And so there was a few times where me and him sat down. We just were able to have some longer conversations. And I remember one of the things brought up as we were talking about what's wrong with Congress said, you know, what's funny is Congress enjoys an approval rating around 30, 35% or so, but yet each individual congressman's average approval rating back home is in the sixties or seventies percent. And see, that's the problem. The vast, vast majority of people disagree with what the body's doing, but when it comes time to look at their own representatives and look at them critically, they're unable to, they're unable to have that eye. And I think that is part of what we need to change. We as constituents have got to demand better out of those in our state legislature. It's a part-time job. They're not supposed to be special. We're not supposed to treat them special. They're supposed to be just like you or I. And if we can't look at ourselves in the mirror and continue to allow blatant corruption to happen, then we should stand against it. And, and look, I'm not saying sports betting isn't a good thing or bad thing. That doesn't really matter. What matters is how it was done. What matters is how everything gets done in this state when it comes to these types of things. A select few get special treatment while everybody else, because you're not special enough and you weren't born to the right family, you are not able to get a hold of that. And I'm not talking about privilege in the sense of skin color. I'm talking about you weren't born into a family that deals with Keeneland or deals with Churchill Downs or deals with that. And because of that, you cannot prosper from it while others can. And that is wrong. All right, coming up, JCPS sent middle schoolers and elementary kids back on Friday. Of course, this you'll be listening to on Monday. High schoolers are supposed to come back online. We'll see how that goes. Um, but we'll be going over how that return went right after this short break. 
Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. JCPS has sent their middle schoolers and elementary kids back on Friday. And while the media is clearly has been told that they need to stop being so mean to JCPS as they start to act almost like their personal PR group. And let me show you what I mean. As they have called it smoother and better, as if the results were acceptable. Here's some of the headlines. JCPS says all students riding the bus have been dropped off on second day of school following transportation issues. WDRB. Update. JCPS youngest students have smoother return to school after busing fiasco. Louisville Public Media. JCPS makes improvements on bus transportation. Wave three. JCPS's buses were more timely for Friday morning runs. WLKY. Now, reading those headlines, you would think the fiasco's over. You would think that JCPS has finally figured out how to get kids to school and there wasn't any issues. Well, despite these headlines, we've had some pretty, pretty obvious problems, such as like the last student not being dropped off until 7.43 p.m. Parents were told to wait 30 to 40 minutes before calling the schools to ask where their buses were in the mornings and at nights. And finally, a second grader was dropped off a mile away from his bus stop and was finally found by two passers-by when he was alone and screaming on his sidewalk. You know, the other day, my wife came in and she thanked me. I was out in the living room doing something. And she came in and she thanked me for putting my dirty clothes in the hamper. She didn't thank me for doing the laundry. No, she simply thanked me for doing what should be the bare minimum. You see, I had successfully lowered the bar on her standards of my behavior when it comes to my dirty laundry that she considers it a success and an improvement that I simply put it in the hamper. That bare minimum of help with laundry is something to be thankful for. And I'm not proud of that fact. I... I'm a guy and just I'm a little messy when it comes to my laundry. I help out around the house, of course, and other things. I do the cooking, of course, and uh, the yard work and uh, a lot of the other stuff. And my wife does the laundry. It's just how it's fallen in our household. But for some reason, I have just set a standard so low um, because of my own failures. In much the same way, JCPS has truly lowered the standard of what is a successful day of busing children. I mean, come on. We had one child screaming alone on the sidewalk. This is what happened, okay? The kid got on the bus. He had the proper bus tag. Despite this, for some reason, he was dropped off at a bus stop a mile away before his bus stop. And when the bus arrived at his proper bus stop, the mother was waiting and her child never came off the bus. And then when she consulted 
the bus driver, they informed her that the kid was dropped off at a prior stop a mile away, despite the fact that his bus tag clearly stated he should have been dropped off at that spot. And this led to uh, the mother uh, scrambling. She didn't have a ride, of course. That's reasonable to think. I mean, after all, she's picking her kid up off the bus stop. She may not have the vehicle. Maybe she works from home. The uh, father works somewhere else. Maybe she doesn't have a car, whatever. And so she's scrambling to find a ride. Meanwhile, she calls 911 to tell them what has happened. And at the same time, two Samaritans passing by discovered a second grader screaming and alone on a sidewalk and they dialed 911 that's how the child was reunited and then the last kid being dropped off at 758 i mean come on what do you want us to do we got him home or sorry not 758 a uh, 743 we got him home. Does that sound like a success to you? The kid wasn't even home before dinner. I mean, imagine your elementary or middle schooler if you have one not getting home until, not even not getting home, not stepping off the bus till 743. And it's possible, as I covered in prior podcasts, that due to what their prescribed busing plan is, that child now may have at 743 at night and up to half a mile walk, or to put it another way, a 15-ish or so minute walk home. Could have. Hopefully the parents are there. But still, the parents, I mean, it's Louisville. It's not exactly the safest neighborhoods in all of the world. I mean, isn't that good enough for you people? What do you expect from us, us to have the children home at a reasonable hour? And keep in mind, they haven't even sent high schoolers back. You're supposed to do it Monday. Are they going to follow through? Maybe, maybe not. But if we expect this to go smoothly, I think we'd be sorely mistaken. But based upon those headlines, you would think that this is a massive improvement, which makes you wonder, or really draws out and doesn't make you wonder. We've covered it. We know. Just shows, though, how awful and horrible they were at busing on that first day that this is considered an improvement. Well, look at that, guys. Got him home before eight. Looks like we won't have to hire for that third shift bus driver after all. And look at that. Only one child that we know of was abandoned on a sidewalk. Guys, this is pretty good stats. I mean, we bus a lot of kids and only one of them had uh, an opportunity to be kidnapped um, a day. I think that is quality stuff. That is good work by us. I mean, that's what they're sitting around doing. They're patting their backs, and apparently the media is doing it for them. Or, like I said, maybe they just really have set the bar low enough. You know, despite these failures, though, this hasn't stopped Bashir from wanting to throw more into what is an already struggling public school system. He wants to provide universal pre-K. So we're going to be covering that right after this short break. Now, as we covered last week, Bashir has unveiled his education plan. And a part of that is he wants a universal pre-K. He said he would ask to, to lawmakers in their budget to put in place a universal pre-K for all 
four-year-olds as well as full-day kindergarten for five-year-olds, which he says would cost the state about $172 million per year. This is a quote for him. He said, this year's Kentucky report card on kindergarten screening shows 62.7% of Kentucky's children were below average for academic and cognitive abilities. We want to make sure that our reading and test scores improve and make sure every child is kindergarten ready. In addition, Bashir noted this would help identify learning challenges so early intervention could take place. It would also help more women enter or re-enter the workforce. So I want to break down what he just said, what his claims are about this plan. And first, I want to talk about the cost of $172 million a year. So uh, I, I went through some demographic uh, data. Um, and demographically speaking, we have pretty consistently held, it's actually been dropping a little bit, 275,000 or so kids between the ages of zero and four for the last 10 years. So that means that we can pretty uh, for surely say there's about 68,000 kids in each age year, four or five. There's about 68,000 kids in each age group. So for that, this age group, he's talking about these fourth and or four-year-olds and five-year-olds, that is 136,000 kids. Now, keep in mind, we already spend some money on early childhood offerings, and some of those five-year-olds are already in kindergarten, and some are doing full day, some are not. But he wants state funding for all day, every day, kindergarten, and universal pre-K. And he says it'll cost 172000 Well, let's just assume that isn't the, that there is no money being spent on fourth or fifth graders right now. Okay, none at all. He says universal pre-K is supposedly going to cost... So if we take if we take his 172 million and we divide it by 136,000 what we get is $1,264 a kid. That's what he says it's going to cost. I mean even if we half that half that. So let's say half those kids are already taken care of it isn't going to cost us anything it's already dealt with. So we're taking away half of it. That's about 2500 bucks a kid still. You honestly expect me to believe that you only need to spend $2,500 a kid for universal pre-K? I mean, JCPS is spending $18,000, $19,000 per child in Louisville, and they're crying that they're underfunded. And you're trying to sell us that this is only going to cost $172 million or $2,500 a kid if we're only, like I said, I broke down the numbers of how we arrived there. But at $2,500 a kid costs... I mean, I mean, even if even if it's only a quarter. So we break it down even further, where it's only a quarter, where it's only around. That's still only five grand a kid. I, I mean, do we see what the game plan here is? Offer it up, say it's only going to cost this much when it can't be done for that price because it's not enough money. Clearly, you're not going to be able to get it done for that. Is it leaving it in a privatized system or just allowing parents to continue to have choice in the options or go around? Instead, we're going to offer this universal pre-K. And then when more kids fail, we're going to claim it's because it's underfunded. And this program really will start to cost significantly, significantly more. I mean, already half of our general fund goes to K-12 through education, around half of it. 
and they're just going to ask for more and more money. Clearly, this isn't going to be enough to fund this program, to take it over from the private industry and private people funding it. It's going to cost more than this, but he doesn't want to say that. Because if he says that, you might be like, geez, oh, Pete, it's going to cost a billion dollars? Jeez. I think that's a pretty big expense. And what's, what is the upside of this? So, so that's just the expense. His pricing is all wrong. So let's just put aside the fact that Bashir's either a, a big fat liar or just horrible at math. And so let's just say that um, let's just put that to the side. Let's take another part of what problems he says this will solve. He says that this year's kids going into kindergarten, according to this year's report card, only 62.7% of Kentucky's children uh, were, or, or sorry, 62.7% of the children going into kindergarten were below average for academic and cognitive abilities. Well, geez, oh, Pete Fischier, could it possibly be because when they were like two, three years old, one years old, you mandated they all had to wear masks all day long and they had to social distance and they could never see their family and their friends during those formative cognitive years. I mean, the call of this guy to act like we're not going to remember that, to act like we don't know he caused the problem. If the kids are abnormally far behind now in cognitive ability at this age, is it possibly because you've muzzled them and covered their mouth and their faces and other people's faces and they didn't learn emotional intelligence? They didn't learn that cognitive ability. They didn't get time to play with others and build and be with others like that. And then that has stunted their cognitive ability. Does that not seem reasonable to all of you? Of course it does. But he expects us to forget that. A problem he has created and now he wants to steal more of our money and spend it on something to solve a problem he's already created, but he doesn't want to admit he's created it. He created it by acting like a tyrant and not giving two craps about these kids. And now suddenly he's got a grand old plan because he's running for re-election and lo and behold, the plan is spend more of our money to fix his failures. And not only will this spending make sense. I mean, I mean, let's let's also go on to his claim that this will even solve a problem. I mean, let's take a look at I don't know, let's pick let's pick a grade. Let's say 8th graders. So 8th graders have been in the public school system for 9 years, right? Plenty of time for them to catch up. So if 62.7% were not kindergarten ready, that means 37.3% were where they were supposed to be. So that tells you they were uh, proficient at where they were supposed to be going into school, only 37.3%. So at least you would think if our current public education system, Bashir wants to put more kids into it earlier in order to fix this problem, you'd think then they must have a fantastic track record of at least catching these kids up. So we'd see an improvement on this 37.3%, right? Well, no. See, according to the Pritchard Committee, only 21% of Kentucky 8th graders are proficient in math. That's a backslide. So they're saying only 21% are proficient in one of the key things, reading and math, and they're not that much better in reading, trust me. And yet, he's saying that, oh, we can fix this problem by getting to them earlier. Well, well, if they're at 37% entering at grade level, okay, and now, after nine years... Only 21% are at grade level. 
Well, that tells me that that's a gigantic freaking failure. All they've done is backslide. So please tell me how putting more kids into this kind of educational system is the answer, please, because they backslid. You're trying to point out these numbers. Oh, look how far behind they are. They're farther behind after you've gotten your claws into them. Apparently, the parents are doing a better job than the schools are. And finally, we get to his last point, which says that more moms or parents could enter or re-enter the workforce. Now, that may be true if moms only have one child in fourth or fifth uh, four, they're, they're either the youngest or they only have one child and they're four to five years old and getting them back into pre-K or to kindergarten would be a, a, a way to get them working and help the, the mother work. That possibly could be the case in that very specific situation. But let's just think about how dystopian that is. You know, hey, we've taxed you to heck and back. And you literally can't now afford to raise your children without both parents working. I mean, uh, you know, that was one of the things back in the days in the 60s and 70s and 80s where you could raise children with one parent working. It made a lot of sense. But now, because everything's gone up so much in costs, and one of those things that's gone up is, of course, taxes and government spending and, and the amount that they leech off of us, that's gone up. And so they've taxed us to heck. They've inflated our dollar to where it's not worth anything. Our wages haven't kept up because they decide they want to play marionette puppeteer on our economy. Meanwhile, the state of Kentucky and Bashir's own budget requires us to spend more and more money every year. The legislature passes budgets that require us to spend more. Bashir's budget requires us to spend more. They all want to spend more and more. And because they can't stop taxing us and they can't stop spending and they can't stop making everything else more expensive, because they don't know how to be a puppeteer of an economy because an economy can't be led by a puppeteer. We've promulgated now a system where both parents have to work and as certainly a single parent can't make it and two parents both have to be working. And, and worse yet too, we've promulgated a culture that rewards single parenthood at the cost of the nuclear family but hey, just don't worry about it. Just hand your kid off to the state, hand your kid off to the government, and they'll take care of them. Have they failed at it everywhere else? Sure. But just hand it off to them, and they'll just take care of it. If they actually can actually do the part of taking care of them, which comes to now the final and most fatal flaw in Bashir's universal pre-K plan. Let's return to JCPS. We've been talking, of course, about their bus issues, talking about in this podcast. Well, JCPS currently does some early childhood education offering for targeted kids or targeted communities in order to help these kids get up to kindergarten ready. And by offer, I mean not really. Because, well, you would see um, they don't know with this busing problem when that's actually going to start back again. This from WDRB, before even having their first day, the district has postponed the start of early childhood education programs because it needs extra time. Early childhood's first day was scheduled for August 23rd, but the district announced Thursday afternoon that it'll be postponed for at least another two weeks. You can't even offer that for, for the program that already exists to deal with some sort of, of, of pre-K for kids 
through the public school systems, they already can't deliver, but yet Bashir wants to enroll more and wants to claim that they can solve more of these problems. And oh, by the way, not only can we do that, but we can do that for at the most he's budgeted, maybe is 5,000 a kid at the most he's budgeted at the least 1200 bucks. I mean, I, I just, I don't know who is dumber. Bashir or the people who believe this garbage and who keep voting for this kind of crud without actually looking around and realizing government cannot solve your problems. They can't even do something basic like pave a road the right way and you want to trust them with more and more of our children earlier and earlier after they've established that they're giant failures. Look, we need big changes in Kentucky because this isn't working. And those changes don't include more government saviors from a system that is already failing with the work we've given them. This isn't going to be solved by government. And it's time we start electing people who can say that government can't solve all your problems. Because while they're claiming they can save all their problems, they're really doing what we first started out with. Being extremely corrupt and lining their own pockets. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Thank you all so, so much for joining us. And have a great rest of your day. And we'll see you back here tomorrow at 1 o'clock.